Let me take you back to 1989. Take me way back. To November. Okay. A balmy summer day. What? What yep. is it with you and balmy summer days? I like balmy summer days. Okay. Uh, and there's a bit of ruction going on in Eastern Europe. You know, East Germany have suddenly let a few people out of the country and everything. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the day ends and we all go home to watch the Brady Bunch before the news. And then as we watch the news, there are guys hacking into the Berlin Wall with sledgehammers. Really? The Cold War's over. We've won! The big question is, what does a spy do when the target is gone? And the big problem was, the target wasn't gone because there was one little spy on the wrong side of the Berlin Wall who became one very big problem. Oh my gosh. Vladimir Putin. You're listening to iSpy, the podcast that is to ASIO what Vladimir Putin is to the American election. Ah, oh, someone wiki-leaked all over my pee tape. Ugh. Oh, God. Hello and welcome to iSpy, the podcast that is about... Spies. Spies, I guess, is pretty much in the title. My name is Michelle Stevenson. I am a journalist with Nova Entertainment. I've got David Callan with me, who is... An ex-spy. An ex-spy. Used to work for ASIO. They're still ashamed of me. (laughs) And today we've got a guest, which is kind of really fun because we've never had a guest before. No, no one's really want to put their name to this. (laughs) Uh, And we're really excited because this is an amazing guest who's got some great insights. Yes. So Matt Bevan, he's the host and writer of America, if you're listening. Formerly Russia, if you're listening. A few iterations there. And you're from ABC News and RN Breakfast. Rita, welcome. G'day. How are you? I'm worried about being your first guest. Yeah, I mean, uh, I feel like other people may know something that I don't, and that's why they haven't come on with me. Oh, we do know things that you don't, or you should. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. And in case you have missed it, you will have a file by the end of this. Yes. Well, that's almost a guarantee for anybody mm. who associates with them, themselves with us. They get a file with ASIO. Though you've probably already got right. one. <laughs> I'd be disappointed if I did. Yeah. I, yeah yes. Most people would be, actually. <laughs> so, um, formally, we have discussed many things to do with intelligence, counterintelligence, how to follow a spy, all, all of this kind of stuff. But today, what we're going to really crack into is a bit, we're going to touch on Russia for yeah. a little bit their interference into world politics, Mm -hmm. so to speak, and also look at foreign government interference in general, the US election, if we have time. Essentially, let's talk about how we overthrow a government. Anyone in? Well, I feel like Matt's in. Yeah. Sure, yeah. (laughs) He's like so so scared right now. Yeah, he's going, I like the the folded arms are a big giveaway. (laughs) So you were touching on like the fall of the Berlin Wall. Yes. And you were at ASIO at that time. I was at ASIO when the the Berlin Wall came down. You're welcome. And what was the perception? Because I know all this time ASIO, their target was, you know, essentially the Cold War. Almost 50% of the budget for ASIO was targeted at the Soviet threat. All right. And then suddenly the Soviet threat is... Kind of gone. Yeah. Perestroika, Glasnost, all of that stuff was going on. But Eastern Europe was basically collapsing in on itself. And a lot of it was then throwing in with with NATO. They all desperately wanted to go over to the West. And, of course, the problem was not only was the the KGB now struggling to work out why they existed, 
ASIO sort of wound up with that problem of what are we going to do with all these old Cold War warriors? Now, interestingly enough, luckily enough for ASIO, Saddam Hussein leapt out of the sand and went, chase me! And the war on terror mm. began. <laughs> but yeah. the big threat that was still lingering was there was this massive country called Russia mm. with a lot of nuclear weapons and a lot of, just a lot of how do we put it, antagonism towards the West, and it really had no direction. We should mention too, a lot a lot of the fall of the Berlin War, from my perspective, had to do with, you know, Americanization. Americans fought the best way they knew how, and that was with McDonald's and Coca-Cola. So. Levi Jeans and Beatles albums, man. Yeah, exactly. And that kind of changed the face of what was essentially the end of Russia as we Capitalism knew Capitalism took on socialism and it ground it into the dust. It was an economic war and they essentially with the arms race, they just kept outbidding the USSR and the USSR couldn't keep up. They lost their ability to service their own economy. Uh, we have a problem with a communist system. It's a closed system. So there's it's very difficult to make money where the American system is, you know, bring us all your home, homeless and indigent money and we will spend it for you. So we'll touch a little bit in a minute with Matt about kind of where Russia is now and, and how they, they had to, you know, change direction, yeah. so to speak. But when you were there, when you were in ASIO and this was happening, kind of what was the perspective then from... I guess, a spy going, well, what do we do now? Well, that was exactly the point. There was that real idea of we're moribund now. We've lost 50% of our target. And as I said, the the Gulf War started and that sort of redirected a lot of the targeting. But what was really interesting, and I remember this, there was a poster in one of the stairwells in the building and it was a picture of a Soviet soldier standing on top of the Berlin Wall. And there was a quote, and I cannot remember the quote, you know, walk past it every day, but it was, I think it was from Khrushchev saying, at some point we will roll over and we will show our soft underbelly. And when the West believes we are dead, we will rise up and crush them in our fist. Okay. And it was just like, it's aggressive. Well, kind of aggressive. <laughs> but there was that idea that this was a little bit of a – they were literally mm. playing possum. Yeah. Right? Now, I'm not exactly sure how true that would be simply because it's a hell of a game of possum to play. And I still think it really comes down to that one little intelligence officer, Vladimir Putin, who managed to parlay his intelligence career into a leadership position within the – newly minted Russian Federation. Mm. So, Matt, I'll bring you in here. We've just had the the Mm. fall of the Berlin War and, you know, Russia has had to kind of pivot in the way they approach the rest of the world. From your perspective, Mm. what do you think, what do you think was going through Vladimir Putin's mind as to where we are now? Oh, well, I mean, at the, at the time, it, it's interesting that you, you mentioned Vladimir Putin, you know, being there in Germany, in East Germany, when the Berlin Wall fell, because there's a bit of confusion as to exactly what his job was at the time, mm. but it seems like he was kind of in charge of the documents. <laughs> Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Yeah. And so when the Berlin Wall was coming down, Putin basically went, right, time to shred. And <laughs> basically his job as the Berlin Wall was being knocked down was just shredding everything that he could find mm-hmm. in the office there. And then he kind of disappeared for a little while, but you know, managed to find this group of, as you say, former KGB officials who were trained by the KGB and, you know, knew how to manipulate people and that sort of thing. And suddenly they had the enormous resources of the Soviet Union mm. were suddenly just being snapped up by anybody in, in a fire sale. And these 
intelligence operatives like Vladimir Putin started to sort of just go, well, why can't we have some of exactly. this? And they sort of got themselves into government positions and, you know, Putin got himself into the you know local government in St. Petersburg and also sort of managed to get himself, so he was a political figure and then he went back into the intelligence establishment and then got himself to the top of the FSB, the, uh, the, the successor organisation to the KGB. Mm. And then at this point, as Boris uh, Yeltsin was starting to ail and be unable to sort of cope with the pressures of keeping up his presidential duties with also his duties to vodka, <laughs> uh, he uh, sort of started looking for a successor and they went through all these, you know, they went through like four prime ministers in, in, in 18 months and uh, eventually Vladimir Putin became the prime minister, just kind of the the, uh, the wheel of fortune landed on him. Then depending on who you believe, Putin sort of leveraged all of the former intelligence agents that he knew into basically running a coup and overta- and, and, and taking the top job from, from Boris Yeltsin. So uh, this guy, Alexander Litvinenko, and a number of other, of other you know, well-connected people say that what Vladimir Putin did is basically stage a national emergency by getting the FSB, or the, maybe the FSB did it without him asking them to, to stage a number of terrorist attacks in Russia. Mm. He got to act like tough guy mm. Vladimir Putin to crack down on these terrorist attacks, which a number of people say were actually carried out by the by the security services. And then Boris Yeltsin on New Year's Eve resigned in this very sad in this in this speech in front of this very sad Christmas tree behind him. I, I don't know whether you remember that speech. I remember it really well, particularly because then Putin appeared next and it was like you were looking into the cold dark eyes of a shark it really was oh yeah it was yeah, yeah. really quite spooky yeah and then sort of putin came in and uh, the problem was that he, you know he had a fair bit of political power but there were still all these oligarchs around that had enormous amounts of economic and financial power and putin had to sort of wrestle with them a little bit and then eventually he figured out a way of of dominating them yep. and what bill bill browder the uh, the well-known human rights activist now, but he was a businessman in in Russia at the time, says happened, is uh, Putin found the richest guy in Russia and locked him in a cage, quite literally, and then called in all the other oligarchs and said, you don't want to end up in the cage, do you? And they went, no, we don't want to go in the cage. No, we very much would not like to be put in the cage. And Putin said, according to Bill Browder, said, well, I would be more than happy not to put you in the cage, but the price is 50% of everything that you have. That was the point at which Putin had absolute control over Russia and... As long as he kept the oligarchs happy mm-hmm. and, you know, one of the oligarchs didn't try and didn't manage to, you know, get enough support to topple him, he's pretty much safe in that job for as long as he wants to take it. Well, now it's been put into, uh, Russia just voted to basically allow the president to be the president mm. for as long as the president wants to be now, isn't it? I think Russia would just yeah, vote absolutely. for anything that he says, <laughs> yeah, <pretty> really. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, it's, it seems that it's very strange. He keeps having elections and he seems... Keep winning them by massive margins. I don't understand. He must I be incredibly understand. popular. I know, he yes. must be. I mean, yes. no. or he likes to, you know, just um, poison people who don't agree with him. Well, I think that's one of the things. Yeah. And it's one of the things that you've got in one in Russia, if you're listening, is you talk about the poisonings mm. and also how ham-fisted so many of them are. 
I mean, we're not talking about Bulgarian umbrella yeah. levels of sophistication. No. We're talking about no. carrying polonium on a, you know, in your hand luggage. But I also think that a lot of that would be Putin basically going to anybody else that may be of any threat to him. Look, if you do cross me, it's going to be public, it's going to be painful, and it's going to be permanent. Mm. And if it isn't permanent, it's just not going to be pleasant. No, there's no subtlety. There's no. No, no, he no, has no. no subtlety anymore. Mm. He's like, uh, well, he, he can be subtle, but also when what he wants to do is send a message, he will make it as messy a message as possible yeah. uh, so that nobody can possibly be mistaken about what the message is that he's sending. Now, at what part of being a spy trains you yeah. to, to take over a country? I mean, what, where, where, like, I just would, I, I mean, I couldn't imagine you even taking over a shop. Yeah, really, that. look, I'm, I can barely take over my own home. No, so. I know. Now, I think with, when you look at something like, or someone like Putin, he, he really had a very sort of, he was quite vengeful about what happened to him mm. in East Germany, particularly when he basically had a, a battalion of tanks waiting to roll in and when he contacted the tank commander the tank commander went I can't move without orders from Moscow and Moscow's gone dark Moscow wasn't talking to anybody so essentially he felt abandoned right now the other thing as well daddy is, issues daddy issue, massive daddy <laughs> issues Boris why don't you love yeah, me I know. now what happened I think what happens when a, a government takes over another country or attempts to manipulate something. America was very good at it for a while, but it was always about military coups. Mm. What Vladimir Putin has done, and this is what's really impressive, is he's doing it with the internet. Yeah. He's basically weaponized social media, and he's using that to completely upset democratic process around the planet. Well, yeah. I mean, we saw it, particularly with Facebook and then the former election. And, Matt, you can speak to this a bit more. How do you, how do you suppose this came about, because we, when we think of Vladimir Putin, we don't think of him as, you know, a light-on kind of tech kind of person. How do you think it came about that there was this idea that, I know, we're just going to mess in elections, we're going to do it via social media? Mm. Well, everyone sort of has this impression that it kind of came out of nowhere in 2016, mm. but it really didn't. Russia had kind of like a, a test run Back as early as 2007, they ran a a cyber a massive cyber attack on their tiny neighbour of Estonia. Oh. <laughs> they basically just went in uh, with a massive cyber attack on this tiny little ex-Soviet country, and uh, basically just switched off their TVs and switched off their power and and just caused a massive uh, you know internet outage mm. across the entire country for for quite some time and that caused you know a, a, a kind of an annoyance to them uh, and that was basically over something as small as there was there was a movement in Estonia to remove a Soviet statue right That's and right, yes. a Soviet war memorial yeah and basically they went we would really rather that you didn't do that and had a go at this thing. And, and it wasn't particularly successful. I mean, it, it, it messed things up massively for Estonia for a few hours. But Estonia responded not by, you know, coming into, you know, closer to Russia's orbit. Estonia actually responded by becoming kind of the most advanced cyber secure country in, in Eastern Europe. They bulked up their cyber defences and uh, tried to rebrand themselves resell themselves rather than as Estonia, as E-Estonia. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> funny. I, I like it. I like it. 
And they, they did that. But that was all the way back in 2007. And that was just kind of Russia going, what happens if we do this? And then they tried it again in 2014 with Ukraine. And they did something in 2015 where they basically uh, blacked out big areas of Ukraine right in the middle of winter mm-hmm. by switching off basically the safety switches mm-hmm. at a whole bunch of power companies, which, which in, incidentally, the US has only just indicted six Russian hackers for doing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, they did test all these things out. They, they certainly had developed a, a, a lot of skill in this area. So that was the hacking part of it. Mm-hmm. And basically the misinformation part of it. So there's two parts of the Russian yeah. attack in 2016. There's the hacking and dumping. So that's stealing stuff and dumping it, which is one skill that they had developed. But the bigger skill was, of course, the spreading of misinformation. And that was kind of old school oh, KGB tactics totally. that they basically just took online. They just basically figured out if you post enough tweets about something that's false you will you know uh, you will start to you know mess with the algorithms but that wasn't you know like a an incredibly complicated thing to discover you didn't need to be a tech genius you just needed to spend enough money employing people to to create trolls basically so essentially estonia was the beta of their yeah election interference and then they just developed it through until they got to 2016 Mm. how much of 2016 do you think they were surprised at the result uh, very. Do you consider that they would have got through? I think what they uh, expected and what they aimed to do was to damage Hillary Clinton rather than. Uh, I don't think they even. I don't think they thought that electing Donald Trump was a was a possibility. Mm. They just wanted to wreck Hillary Clinton as as much as possible to weaken her, so that when she became president, which they, Donald Trump and everybody assumed would happen, she would find it more difficult to stand up to Putin on on a number of issues because she'd been a bit of a a tough guy on Russia as Secretary of State. Putin didn't like that at all and he would have really rather that she didn't, you know, romp in with a massive victory in 2016 and that people hadn't... He would also have rather that people didn't forget about sort of the stench of corruption that had grown around her, around her email Mm. practices in the State Department. And so he kind of... You know, ran these these you know twin efforts to spread misinformation about Hillary Clinton online via trolls and bots, and also hack and dump her emails, and it worked incredibly well. But the interesting thing is, looking at it from a from you know four years in the future, it was such a fluke. Yeah, it worked so well and yet there are so many instances of basically them running the same play and it not working at all. Putin has backed a number of causes across Europe. He did a bit of work trying to assist with the, trying trying to push the independence movement in Scotland. He then tried to uh, assist a number of independence movements around Europe. He tried to interfere in the Macedonian name change election and the French election in 2017 mm. and he was on the losing side of all of those didn't succeed in any of them. Do you think the reason why it worked so well speaks to the level of competence of the average American? I mean, <laughs> and I ha- mm. and look, I hate to say this because I do have a lot of American friends and and the majority of them are incredibly intelligent mm. and they they go out and vote and all that, but there is a huge portion of America that sits in that Bible belt and you know, just kind of believes everything that's on Facebook. Even my mum does. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's not mm. specifically the Bible belt. There are portions of Australia that are exactly the same. But do you think 
think it worked so well because of it was America and it was Americans. Yeah, probably, and because it was such a you know a hyper partisan election where what is real and what isn't real sort of started to fall apart because you had one candidate who was willing to say up is down, you know, black is white and another candidate that was trying to tether herself as much as possible to being accurate. Mm. And so, you know, misinformation was being spread, you know, within America by Americans that had nothing to do with Russia and Russia just sort of added on to that. But yeah, no, totally. America is incredibly vulnerable to misinformation as we see in 2020 with the pandemic, which has nothing to do with Russia and, you know, is is, is purely just Americans doing it to themselves, spreading misinformation amongst themselves. They just happen to be a fertile Petri dish and and Putin dropped a, a little dab of something gross into this fertile Petri dish at exactly the right time. <laughs> and that little something gross is called Donald. Uh, now, I do have a theory, because everyone talks about Russia hacking the DNC. I would be absolutely gobsmacked if the RNC had not also been hacked. Because personally, mm. I believe that what would have happened is Russia would have hacked both parties and looked at the, the Democrats and gone, really not a lot to work with there other than a bit of a smear campaign, and then looked at the RNC and gone, holy crap, we own these guys. Now, I mean, there's the classic story of the, the senators, and, the Republican senators and congressmen who spent Independence Day, the 4th of July, in Moscow talking to oligarchs. So there is that whole idea of Russian money in the election, the amount of Russian money that's floating around mm. all the way through it. And um, This is the thing that I also consider now is considering how corrupted the election is, what is the chance of America getting back to where it was before? If Depending, I mean, if Donald Trump gets in, I think it's kind of game over. But what happens if Biden gets through? Can they re-establish themselves as a world power to the extent that they were pre-Trump? It'll take a while. It'll take a long time. Well, it takes at least four years for economic policies to kind of kick through as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're seeing... Yeah. I mean, Obama's, a lot of the changes that Obama made, it took, you know, the were, were happening two years into Trump's administration. So it does take a while for these things to happen as mm. well. So it will mm. take a while. It'll take another thing, 10 years. <laughs> the, the, the thing you have to remember is that even if Donald Trump loses, he will leave behind 30 to 40% of the American public who are convinced that the election was stolen from them. Mm-hmm. You know, even if, even if uh, and, and, you know, whether or not this happens, I don't know. But if Donald Trump loses and then there is, against, you know, what he's been threatening, a peaceful transition of power to Joe Biden, you're going to have this 30 to 40% of the American public who are furious about what has happened, thinks that they have been slighted, thinks they've been ripped off and robbed and that their hero, Donald Trump, was taken taken down by the rigged Democrats. And division, you know, I don't know how Joe Biden is going to be able to win those people back over and make them believe that really America is a country that works properly. And so you're going to end up with this country that continues to be massively divided. Uh, only now the, the people who are angry, the people who are more susceptible to misinformation. And better armed. And also more armed, yes. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> um, and when we think about, you know, 
foreign government interference and um, spies and all of that. In uh, some of your podcasts you spoke, we'll talk about the PP tapes, but like <laughs> um, how that came about. Are spies kind of integral to a lot of a lot of this stuff that's going on as well? Do we see like Russian spies in America helping a lot of this collusion move forward? That's a really interesting point because, I mean, if you look at what happened with Edward Snowden now lives in Moscow. Yeah. All right. Edward Snowden walked in and essentially plugged a hard drive into a communications nexus and downloaded a whole heap of information. A lot of intelligence was picked up by essentially what is now a defector. Mm. And then that gets permeated out through, say, WikiLeaks or it's used by the Russian government through their intelligence agencies to recruit and or compromise various assets within the US, say the US government. So this is the thing. Yeah, your spies are integral to this kind of thing because intelligence gathering, getting the intelligence to use to compromise a target, Mm. that doesn't come easy. I mean, you can have a moment with, say, WikiLeaks or you can have Snowden, but generally to find the really salacious stuff, and here we go to the PP tape, you need an intelligence officer to do that. So, Matt, I want to ask you this. Do you think the PP tapes exist? No. (laughs) No, Really? Okay. Yeah. I just think it's salacious. Yeah, I I don't think it's real. I I think the, the argument that has been made by a number of people who've looked into it that essentially a couple of different stories about Donald Trump attending a club in Las Vegas where there was a... Uh, a golden showers performance of some kind and Donald Trump sort of being there in Moscow for the for the Miss Universe pageant in 2013 I think those two stories got mixed up somewhere and uh, turned into one story which someone told Christopher Steele and uh, he wrote it down in his dossier I don't believe that it is real and exists. So it's fake news. It's fake news. When you look at the colour of his skin, it's believable. <laughs> but um, I believe it certainly is one of those those stories that has been so embellished, and it's it's been handed down. It's hearsay. It's a hearsay story that's been passed mm. down. There's no real evidence. There's no PP tape. I'd agree. I mean, even Donald Trump isn't as stupid as to go. I'm going to get prostitutes to pee on the bed that Obama slept in. And I'm going to video it for all time. No, that's not going to happen. I think, honestly, the truly problematic stuff for Trump is the money. It's the money trial. The fact that he will not release his tax returns is very simply because there is so much information that is going to be compromising to him. So, yeah, I, I think the Steele dossier was just a way of, like, basically bringing up the unpleasant side of Donald Trump. And it's not like they really needed it. He sat in a bus and basically talked about grabbing people by the pussy. Mm. Uh, and that, again, that did nothing to harm. So when we think about foreign interference, like, you know, Russia, for example, mm. colluding to try and, you know, put Trump in power, what about the other side of things? What about if the English wanted to get Trump out? Because surely, like, Trump isn't a real asset for Europe. Is there is there kind of that on the other side? Is there a, t- a tussle there? I don't... I'm going to go to Matt on this one. I've got an idea. I don't think Boris Johnson would like to see him gone. I think there is, uh, I mean, also I think for a lot of people, the fact that he's such a distraction could actually be an aid to them. But if you look at someone like Angela Merkel, if you look at the European Union, they're they're literally caught between a rock and a hard place. They've got Russia on one side and they've got what Mm. was meant to be their ally and they 
literally Merkel has gotten up and gone, we've got to go on our own, guys. We can't rely on the US anymore. And I think that's really the crux of the matter, is the fact that Donald Trump has so destabilised the the, one of the last great superpowers on the planet that Europe can't depend on this ally. And, of course, while all this is going on, while we're talking about Europe and America and Russia, sitting there on the coast of the Pacific Ocean is China, just biding its time. Mm. That's the real one. That's the, the end game in all intelligence and the end game in all foreign, like foreign affairs is China. But that's what I mean. Like, surely the English, as much as like Trump is destabilizing, you would see that China is sitting there biding its time. And like, mm-hmm. who? When you when you talk about superpowers, I mean, who are you going to prefer, the Americans or the Chinese? I mean, that's that's a up to personal opinion. But do, would you not see that, say, the British intelligence or any you know Germans or whatever would be in some way trying to go? Hang on, while the Russians are trying to keep Trump in, shouldn't we <laughs> try and like even it out a bit? Well, by the sound of it, the American intelligence want to get rid of Trump. When yeah. you look at what the mm-hmm. American intelligences are doing, they're like going, this guy, I mean, and he is vehemently opposed to American intelligence. To turn around after your intelligence yes. organisation has said, well, Russia interfered with our election. It's like, no, I asked the guy who organised it and he said he didn't do it. It's like, come on. Yes. So I think, yes, mm. I think there are intelligence agencies out there that would definitely like to get rid of Trump. Yeah, and what's your thought on that, Matt? I... I think the big difference is that Russia doesn't care if we know what they did. Because for Putin, domestically, the idea that he, you know, has managed to interfere with an American election and that, you know, that, that, that he has uh, the American president as a puppet, you know, as he, you know, he's a puppet master to the American president, you know, whether that is true or not, that is what is being spread on Russian yep. state television constantly. Mm-hmm. It is a benefit to him to be seen that way, whether it's true or not. But the the ramifications for an an American ally, be it Germany or the UK or you know Canada or or us, if if they were caught doing that, would be so catastrophic for that country. Yes, that I, I can't imagine that they would would try it, no matter how much they want it to happen. Mm. I- I- even if they do, I cannot imagine that they would risk it. No. Because it, it would just be such a, uh, uh, you know, imagine the ramifications. If if the UK or if, if Germany were to go, uh, we're going to, you know, surreptitiously back Joe Biden and, and send our intelligence agents to do that, and then Joe Biden was to lose uh, and then it was to come out that Germany had legitimately done this, oh, that would just be utterly catastrophic for them. Yeah, absolutely. But we, So we're talking about Russia a lot and their, yeah. their interference. What about China? Is Does China, are they interfering? Do we know that? Or do you think they're just sitting back and just waiting for it to all fall apart and buying up the land? Well, here's a, <laughs> well they're buying up the land. Yeah. ASIO only this week in Senate estimates said that they had foiled a foreign interference operation in Australia with intelligence office, uh, foreign intelligence yes. officers and local assets involved. No countries are named. You can be pretty much assured it was China. Right. All right. China has, like, it's we have examples of our politicians being compromised by the Chinese. Yes, of course they want to influence our, our country. I mean, that's the end game. And 
again, going back to the Russian thing, Putin got the, the ultimate in penetration. He got the leader of a nation essentially to look like he's been compromised and in his pocket, right? That's what you want to do. If you're trying to get into an organisation, you want to get into a terrorist group, you want to get into a, a political group, you want to get a recruit in there and then assist them climbing the tree. Mm. I mean, it's the classic example of a young guy being asked to join the Communist Party to be our eyes and ears. And then he said, look, they want to make me the head of this, the cadre. And they, they like, ASIO were like, go, keep going. That's great. We think it's fantastic. And then they just mm. kept pushing that along. That's what you'd have with China. China are definitely involved in foreign interference, but they're a lot more subtle. And the other thing about China is that their motivations are a lot more sophisticated as well. Mm. What Putin wants is simply for him personally to stay in power. And he does that by wrecking up other countries and by seeming like this all-powerful strongman to his own people. Whereas Xi Jinping doesn't care about that. You know, Xi Jinping doesn't have the level of cult of personality that that Putin does. And while Putin sort of cultivates this uh, idea of him as this international troll... Xi Jinping wants to be seen as an international uh, benevolent leader, mm. you know, the obvious successor to America in terms of the world's most responsible society. You know, America has fallen apart. Uh, we had nothing to do with it. We are re re returning to our natural place as the most dominant country on earth, which, you know, China yep. has been for the majority of, of the last few thousand years. We're in this unusual, uh, you know... A, as many experts have said, we're in, in this unusual short period of time where China is not the most powerful country on earth and we are just kind of returning to normality in terms of the last few thousand years. Mm. And and what China wants is specific things. We want, we want to be seen favourably by your country. We want uh, to have trade deals that are done in our advantage. We want you not to pay any attention to what we are doing to the Uyghurs in Hong Kong. We want you to stop harassing us in the South China Sea. It's not, we want your country to fall apart, you know. <laughs> well, we don't want our market to disappear, essentially. Totally, yeah, absolutely. If your country falls apart, yeah. we can't sell you know, our genes to you. So uh, please stay together yeah. and do what we tell you to do. Yeah. What, what, do you absolutely. what do you suppose is the relationship, if any, between China and Russia? Because you don't really see them ever on the global stage much. Mm. Oh, oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Well, I guess not taking photos. <laughs> well, no, no, they do. The, what, the, I, I don't know whether it happened this year, but Vladimir Putin made a habit for a few years of being in Beijing for Xi Jinping's birthday every year. Wow. Birthday buddies. Yeah, birthday buddies. They, he was there and, uh, you know, he would be there and he'd meet with him and he'd go, you know, happy birthday and all that sort of thing, you know, as a, as a, as a show of the personal relationship between the two men. And while I guess at the moment they are sort of have their – they are kind of aligned to a certain extent on a number of issues, at some point – when China kind of inevitably overtakes the US as the dominant power in their part of the world, mm. then you might start to see a bit of a problem between the two of them. But I guess the thing is that with with China, uh, China everything is a very long 
short-term game. Whereas with America, everything is about four years' time, and with Russia, uh, everything is about just Vladimir Putin's lifetime. Fifteen I minutes, Vladimir I Putin think. Cares that much? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vladimir Putin doesn't care too much what happens after he's gone. He just cares what happens while he's here. Mm. Whereas Xi Jinping does care what happens after he is gone and after his grandchildren are gone. You know, it's and the generational thinking of China. Yeah. Yeah, China has a strategy for what the world is going to look like in 20, 2100, uh, whereas uh, you know Donald Trump doesn't have a strategy for what the world is going to look like in 2022. Mm. Yeah, and with all this going on, I guess, just lastly, I just want to, want to ask both of you, where does Australia fit into any of this, if, if anything? How do we kind of sit into these powers kind of playing out? Okay. You get a piece of bread <laughs> and then you get another piece of bread. There's a thing you put in the middle called meat. Yeah. That's what we are. We're a very, very small nation population-wise. We're a, a surprisingly wealthy nation population-wise. We've got a crap ton of resources down here and we have one of the smallest standing armies on the planet. For a country this rich, that's why we're spending so much money on submarines and F-35s and all this stuff, is because we are wide open. And if China really, really, really wants to make it hard for us, they can do the simplest thing possible. They can just turn around and go... We'd like the money back, please. Well, yeah, I mean, they could, they could do right. that. They could so, do that for America as well. Um, yeah, exactly. But on the other side of the equation, we have America going. You are currently our airstrip, and we based a whole bunch of Marines in the Northern Territory. I think it's very interesting that we have Marines in the Northern Territory, but China owns the port of Darwin. It's like, oh, mm. how much more meaty can we get? I think is the question for me. Australia is a small country that's trapped. We're tra- yeah. we're caught in the middle. We're an Anglo country in Asia, and there's very little we can do about that. Yeah, mm. totally. The interesting thing about China is at the moment and into the relatively sort of medium future, their, their ability to project their military power is kind of limited to a certain extent to their horizon. Mm. They're exceptionally powerful in the East China Sea, South China Sea, Central Asia, uh, part of the world, but at the moment, as opposed to the United States, the United States has you know full blown military bases all over the world. Yes, whereas China does not currently have that. They have a couple of external bases, but not nearly the level that the US has. The thing that is going to get that, that it, when we, we, it starts to get really scary for us is when you know there's a, a full blown Chinese military base in Numea or in. Uh, Fiji or mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, some country that is closer to us mm. where China could Which you know, properly on. project their military power. They're certainly working on that. Yep, I definitely. mean, at the moment they're working on uh, economically getting these countries on board. Yes. But you can see at some point in the future them going, hey, so you know how you owe us uh, all the money that you've ever had? We will write that off for you if you let us build a full military base. Here. Exactly. You know, that's that's the big concern. Uh, but at the you know, in in the short term, we are still, you know, able to rely on the United States to a certain extent to protect us. And I think, you know, a lot of a lot of what has happened in the last few years under Donald Trump is Donald Trump was kind of ignoring a lot of this 
because he wanted a new trade deal with China. Yeah. And China was kind of happy to string him along on that and go, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, do, we'll give you a trade deal. But if you could just, uh, one of the conditions on us maybe giving you a trade deal is if you'd never say a word about Hong Kong ever. And that's why Donald Trump, and you know, according to multiple reports, said, yep, fine, I won't say anything about Hong Kong. Interesting. Now the trade deal has fallen apart due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Donald Trump has gone back to it's kind of hitting them on that. And I can see, you know, a future where either with Trump or with Biden, perhaps they will be, you know, the, the US will be a bit more tough on China under in the next four years because there isn't the prospect of a, of a, of a massive trade deal between the two of them because things have kind of uh, been messed up by the virus. Yes, and we'll, we'll look forward to what the next four years may hold, whether it's under Trump or Biden. Um, I do, I, look, we could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, but thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, um, Matt. Matt, so America, if you're listening, a great podcast, highly recommend. We've pretty much touched on everything, Russia, China, Trump, spies, interference, like it was all there. So, <laughs> uh, Look, as, as you said, I could sit here and talk to you for hours, Matt. In fact, would you like to? No. <laughs> no. Uh. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us and um, we'll chat to you soon. I'd like to get you back on. Thanks, guys. Yes, please. After the election. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, can't, I can't even imagine what the world is going to be like after the election. One way or another, it's going to be very interesting. Thanks again, Matt. Thanks, guys. It was so good having our first guest. Wow. I know. He didn't even come here. It was so COVID safe. I loved it. I know. A good COVID safe chat. And we touched on everything, you know, kind of wrapping up that kind of foreign interference, Putin, China, all of that kind of stuff, which is it's really interesting stuff. Yep. And if you're in America and listening, go out and vote. Now, next week, we're going to... uh, basically tap into 20 something that happened 28 years ago yeah that's affecting us now right and it all came down to a murder okay can't wait to unpack this oh it's great